Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Starfinder, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we uh, like to talk about games. Today, uh, we are going to do a preview episode for basically all of the pre-release materials now. It is July uh, 5th. We're about uh, a little over a month from Starfinder's official release, which will be Gen Con 2017. Um, and we'll be uh, there for you, listeners. Oh, shit. You're right. We will be there. Uh, playing Starfinder, too. We're, we're signed up for a couple of Starfinder events. Uh, I think we're... Oh, yeah. We're signed up for the, 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 the Rules Design Workshop um, and uh, and uh, for the Starfinder launch. Actually, yeah. I, think, I think maybe... Before we go, we'll do like a like like a tips for Gen Con episode or something like that, or oh, at that, least do that, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, so we'll we'll save a lot of that content for for then, um, but uh, but yeah, it really it launch Starfinder launches at Gen Con, um, but they have been releasing breadcrumbs along the way, including, um, I think kind of most solidly a uh, a PDF called First Contact with a bunch of monsters. Um, they did that for Free RPG Day, along with instructions about how to drop them into your Pathfinder game if you so desired. Um, but it's all written in the Starfinder rule system base, so there's been a lot of um, kind of backwards engineering to kind of try and understand what's going to go on there, as well as the things they explicitly said. So, uh, you know, it's been exciting. The mechanics look neat. Um, uh, and, buddy, I'm kind of interested in your first impressions, because to me, a lot of this seems to be like taking some of the, the cool parts of 5e, um, but I know you don't have a lot of experience with this, or experience with uh, 5e. I literally have none. I've read, like, eight pages out of a book in a, in a Barnes & Noble once while I was waiting for a flight. Um, so, uh, I am kind of hyped for these rules. Uh, especially, like, a lot of the rules changes are really appealing. Um, uh, like, so, for instance... One of the big ones that's that that's on my kind of table uh, for the 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 changes that I think are really good for Starfinder is the getting rid of iterative attacks. Uh, in fact, you know what? To be honest with you, um, they put out a Paizo put out a blog. We're gonna be pulling a lot from these you know from these Paizo blogs on Starfinder. One I'll of put the, a link in the description. Yeah, one of the middle of the road kind of blogs that they did that uh, almost fell by the wayside, but I almost think is one of their like one of the most important to like fundamentally understanding Starfinder is the five differences between Starfinder and Pathfinder, right? The first one is the different kind of uh, HP types, which I'm sure we'll get to. The second one is that you have different armor classes for energy and for uh, kind of like physical objects, right? Kinetic objects. Um, the fourth one is that attacks of opportunity are streamlined. And then the fifth one is that they've gotten rid of all of these kinds of subdivisions around magic. No psychic, no divine, no arcane, just, just, just magic, right? Uh, but there, but that third one in the middle is that there are no iterative attacks, right? And they literally define this in two sentences. Starfinder characters normally get a single attack every round, and this holds true from level 1 to level 20. A character's number of attacks does not increase as their base attack bonus goes up. Instead, any character, even at first level, can use a full action to make two attacks in a round, each at a minus 4 penalty. Two sentences, but I think that has massive implications for the system of the game because so much of this game like from a from a pure pure systems standpoint is built around the fact that you get iterative attacks as you level right and the damage dps that you're do dpr that you're doing 
uh, is consistent around that kind of, like, you know, like those kinds of increases uh, to your, you know, to your full attacks and everything like that. So this is one of the first big changes that I saw that I was like, oh, wow, they're really, they're really going nuts. And this is cool. Um, because as much as I think Starfinder in space would be awesome, uh, I do, I do have to say that, you know, look, we've gotten better at making RPGs in the past 15 years. Uh, you know, like we don't have to be bound to the, the rules of three, five until the end of time. Yeah. And, um, I, I actually, this, this is similar, but different, significantly different from the way 5e handles it. Um, 5e, most characters only get one attack at a round, and certain classes or certain specializations get multiple attacks. And I actually, um, I'm pretty sure that Starfire is going to kind of go in that direction, um, in that, like, I'm sure that, like, there will be two-weapon fighting feats that will let you get off multiple attacks around and things like that. Right. I think reserving that kind of power out to those kinds of features is, uh, is a good way to handle it, because something that I always kind of, um, so I'm, I'm personally... A, a bigger fan of kind of uh just to kind of lay this out there there's two types of like combat broadly there's like many little hits there's one big hit um and pathfinder kind of falls squarely into like that kind of like many little hits with the iteratives yeah. um the options for doing one big hit are like clustered shots dead eye shot and like uh a vital strike and those never felt great and I think it's if I do just want to point out real quick that uh, that pummeling style felt amazing. <laughs> sure, that's uh, that's that that's fair, um, but like that builds it all kind of like um, that it all kind of felt like a thing to do instead of like a, a, you weren't trading to get a one big whomping strike. You were trading to essentially get mobility out of your move action to do the. Um, uh, rather than getting a bonus on that one big hit, right, um, right. which which is which is kind of like a, a different feel to it, and I feel by doing it this way, you'll be able to kind of build out in either of those directions a lot more satisfyingly, because um, I fully expect them, like I said, to have a whole like slew of feats based around um, alternate or you know extra secondary attacks and whatever. Yeah, I um, know. I actually I absolutely agree with you, and I think that that kind of a perspective makes a lot of sense, especially because like you know because. Uh, as, as far as I understand it, things like DR don't exist, right? Um, uh, I think that the inter like the, the interaction between iterative iterative attacks, right? One big hit attacks versus kind of AC versus DR, right? You know, like those those systems are where are where Starfinder uh, or sorry are where Pathfinder combat can get really compelling, right? Um, and so the ability to play around with with that system more because like because iterative attacks are so fundamental to the design of so many classes right like it just ha it just can't help but be put off towards that one you know little hits kind of side of things right um but i like that you know like i like that there's going to be a lot more uh there's going to be a lot more freedom around i also think that it's it's interesting to see you know referencing another uh post that they made uh about guns is that they seem to be really tuning up the base damage of items and weapons around dice values rather than constants right and i think that, and that, that like that's a really clever thing to do right like they tell they talk about the difference between like a level one laser pistol, which is like 2d4, right? And a level, you know, whatever, like a high caliber zero rifle, which does frost damage. 
um, which does 78 damage, right? It is unheard of in Pathfinder to have a weapon do 78 damage, and yet we're but and yet we're going to have a pulse rifle or whatever, you know, like whatever it is uh, that that does things along those lines. And I think that at th that them being conscious to the fact that look, one of the cool things about iterative attacks is rolling tons and tons of die, right? Um, that's that like that's something I'm on board for. So so on on that note, um, I, kind of in, in a word, the the thing that they're indicating in this is that you get um is that you is that guns level up essentially, right? Like as, as they put it, it, it's kind of a a uh, it's a matter of who what you're licensed for and who's willing to sell you it type of deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, there uh there seems to be and so there seems to be this kind of um gun progression. Now one thing that I am a little bit hesitant about is um. I think a lot of the moves they've done with both Unchained and um, um, some other games do variants like this where um, you essentially pull the loot, like pull expected loot progression out and put in a series of static bonuses. That's that's how we play Hell's Rebels. That's how we played um, Mark's Rise of the Rune Lords game um, as an attempt to kind of like smooth out the loot curve. Um, this seems to me like you're good, like like uh, you're going to have to have a loot progression in order for this all to work right. And have that be like the unexpected loot curve, which is like so. So on the one hand, you've got the thing that I think is really cool, which is that um, the weapon abilities are less kind of like static increases, and they're more kind of like cool things the weapon can do. Um, as they, they talk about the magic stuff and, uh, and and how that works around with it. Um, but this kind of gun leveling up system gives me pause because it, it means that as part of your character's core progression and core damage progression you're going to need to find a bigger gun which is um you know i think fine in a lot of ways but like it it, it kind of takes uh it, it kind of puts that back on the gym to make sure that there's access to an increasing level of firearm in order for the characters to be at expected power level which i thought they had done a good job of kind of like slowly pushing out the door with with inherent bonus systems so interestingly enough as much as i love inherent bonus systems i'm actually very much on board for the uh the the mechanics as they've described it in this gun section right uh specifically the kind of line that really appeals to me is there's the there's a line kind of halfway through um oh god i can't even sorry i just want to take a second to make sure i'm finding the right line Okay, by giving um, uh, every piece of equipment an item level, they can tie numerous rules, including hardness, hit points, save DCs, and item uh, creation rules, to name just a few, to a single mechanic. Item level is also a useful baseline to help determine what gear a character uh, has the licenses, connections, and trust to buy. That section really appeals to me. Uh, mostly because I think that as it stands, it is so obfuscated, kind of what is optimal, like what is min-max optimal um, for any of your item progression in Pathfinder, right? Like, we all know, but it's not, it's not like the game itself kind of systemizes the fact uh, that, you know, a cloak of resistance uh and you know a a ring of deflection and amulet of natural armor and it, yeah like all of these things are are so much more valuable than kind of their other counterparts right but here when you tie everything into an item level you are you are 
uh, definitionally systemizing that kind of thing. So I don't, I feel like there's going to be a lot less kind of like dead buys, right? Like noob trap buys, uh, where you have someone, you know, buying, buying a piece of armor or buying a, a wondrous item that doesn't make, that doesn't make a lot of sense for them. And on top of that, I love the idea of a system that says, right you know item levels are available to people you know what i mean like as you level up you are also getting more and more of a reputation in the universe right you're getting better licenses you're getting these connections right contacts right all of this kind of stuff and that that is your and that, like that's the the ability for you to like go out there and buy weapons in fact they actually make a make a point of it later that says you know a player character in a major settlement is free to buy any gear with an item level up to his character level plus two right we're not going to have to be sitting here doing uh, availability roles right uh doing tables right random random settlement generation anything like that you can just walk into a settlement and say hey listen i'm looking for an upgrade for my zero rifle right you know let's and, let's do business and if as long as you're somewhere relatively populated you'll they'll, they'll guarantee to have it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that kind of uh speaks a little bit to the um I, I, I guess that's the consequence of the setting where you can assume a level of uh level of distribution that you can't in a fantasy setting right like right there's no guarantee that like you know those weird eastern blades ever made it all you know ever made it to your hometown of sandpoint yeah, yeah um, definitely uh, but you can't kind of infer that that'll be at major space stations so, so I, I, I'm with you. I guess that works. But something, something I'm curious to see is the crafting rules, because with gear taking, like gear upgrades taking such an important path, I want to see how they do that. Because that's something I always thought was kind of broken, um, in a way about Pathfinder I itself. It was either, right. either item creation is too powerful because you've got the time to make things, and those are just kind of like best bang for your buck, um, investment of feats, um, but also kind of like leaves you out to dry as like you know well one of your dudes has to be the crafter or somebody has to take leadership so that like their 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 uh their their blacksmith uh apprentice can can go do all the crafting for everybody um uh or you know the game is on such a short time scale that they're worthless right like that you don't have enough time to finish anything so why would you why yeah, I am definitely a little bit worried about it. I mean, there's some stuff in here that I like. Uh, you know, for instance, they talk about these, like, um, enchantment tokens that you can just pull out from one pistol and put it in another. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. as you as you level, uh, like, level out of kind of bad gear, you can still carry, like, those modifications to that gear forward. Uh, which I think is very, like, I think is very neat and cool. Actually, to be honest with you, what I would like, especially for Starfinder, is a, a version of the game where crafting is, um, like, ingrained into, is into, into more about, like, modifications, right? Like, enchants and, like, and mods more than it is the gun itself. You know what I mean? I think a version of things where you are spending the bulk of your, uh, you know, like the bulk of your money on, you know, a mass manufactured rifle, right? You, you can't just make that in your shop, right? You know, right. And then, like this is a little bit of also kind of like the difference between crafting. Like it's easy to make a fucking quarter staff. You just like go out there and chop down, but it chop down a tree, right? But if I'm making a zero rifle, right, even with all of the right components, you, you probably need some kind of machinery, uh, in order to kind of get that done, especially in order to not make it like prohibitively expensive, right? So the idea that you buy a gun for like like maybe for like seventy five percent of 
kind of like the item uh, uh like the item value right but it is but it is functioning at 50 percent, and then you have kind of like a mechanic right or your mage or whatever uh and your mechanic does all these technical upgrades or your mage does all of these kind of uh, uh like enchantments and everything on it i think that would be like kind of the best version of this system i think it could exist in here but i sort of also doubt it yeah i i i think the kind of best version is like like, in order for crafting to work right is you need it to be kind of like a little bit of an external system. Um, but then you also need options for characters who don't want to do that to, like, be able to, to, to participate, like, to do something. Like, essentially, I want, like, a downtime systems where one of the options is kind of crafting. And it doesn't give you too high of an advantage, right? Like Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, maybe you save, like, 10% on your costs and it takes a long time. So, like, if you want it to be part of your character, right? Like, I'm the junker who, like, builds guns out of nothing or whatever. Um... I think that's a really interesting character concept, but kind of reflecting that in the rules without kind of breaking it in in some way is is, is tough. Yeah, um, I definitely I definitely feel that. This is also that is like that's also kind of part of it, right? Like I think it's a very rewarding thing for that junker character to say, you know, okay, I'm gonna spend two weeks of my downtime crafting a scope for your rifle or whatever, right, you know yeah. what I mean? And that gives you a plus one to hit uh, or something like that. Because even though that like that that feels minor in in you know like in a lot of kind of cases uh i think it is you know like it is like a, it is a step off it is it is powerful it does it does boost and i think i don't know maybe it's just because i've been playing a lot of games with like customizable weapons where the game is more is less about purchasing weapons and more about purchasing uh you know like modifications and like modifying your weapons to make them fit you uh that that i have this kind of perspective yeah. on things yeah plus it was kind of like little steps allow you to kind of build, like I said, like build out systems where like Pete, like, you know, if in your downtime, you're crafting a scope and then like the, like the soldier is like, you know, watches the perimeter of the camp and that gives you some, some minor temporary bonus. Like those feel kind of equivalent, right? Like, you know, at, you know, like the, the, the mechanic spends like, you know, a bunch of his nights crafting things and it takes him a while to do something. Whereas like the other players in the party can do like, other things that either are, are more more or less permanent but like have similar like levels of effect and are also important i think that lets you kind of like distribute like pull the crafting mechanics out of the uh out of kind of like the the core feet section which is kind of how it is in pathfinder you know with, to get like at the quote unquote good stuff yeah um and and then not make it feel like everybody has to be crafting stuff in their downtime uh, which i think is, is a thing to avoid um but we don't know about that because the, the the rules aren't there yet. But so, uh, speaking about that though, is I actually think that the proper place to throw this kind of thing would be in the section uh, that they talk about character themes, right? Um, unfortunately, they list out all of the themes, and none of them are "you are a crafter." This is what crafting does for you. Um, but uh, uh, it is is so so. Character themes are a really cool. Uh, aspect of the starfinder system and i want to talk about them so what a character theme is is it's kind of like a bundling up of traits for your character and also um uh your you know like like any kind of like background traits campaign traits anything like that um but uh, but also your favorite class bonuses right um you get instead of like instead of having those things kind of like sprinkled out alongside your uh, like along your character uh you get one uh, 
specific ability like you get a, a specific ability at first level sixth level 12th level and 18th level right uh and then those themes are are things that kind of anybody could be right you could be an envoy you could be a mechanic you could be whatever but you could also still be like this kind of theme and it speaks a little bit to like you know to to, to flavoring uh, you know, like what it is and what you've done, right? You have Ace Pilot, Bounty Hunter, Icon, which is kind of like a celebrity, uh, Mercenary Outlaw, Priest, Scholar, Spacefarer, Xeno Seeker, and, uh, and if you don't want to do a theme, you can go themeless. Uh, how do you feel about this system? I think it's neat. I think it will be a one of those things that Spotbooks expand upon endlessly, and I think that will be good because... Um, I gotta like a lot of these, but some of them also seem like, like some some of these definitely seem seem like uh you know like space, uh kind of space fantasy first, like Ace Pilot, Bounty Hunter, uh Outlaw, Xeno Seeker, the uh, maybe Space Fair seem all very like you know we we are having a sci-fi game we need these kind of like iconic themes in the game which makes sense to be, but other ones seem kind of like well we've got we you know kind of uh. Uh, kind of round out first, if that makes sense, right? Like, you know, icon, priest, scholar, they don't seem particularly strong space, like spacey type themes to me. Um, and I feel like they're there just because kind of you, you have to have them, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I think it's all a neat idea, but I do think that this is a thing that, that will benefit from some expansion in Splat. Um, I do like that they have a theme list in there that's kind of like a, well, uh, build your own fucking... Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I think that's I think themeless is definitely cool. I also think themeless where you have to kind of put a name on what that means in the context of you will be important. Um, especially because they kind of talk about how like, you know, one of the themeless is you gain a, a class skill of your choice when you create a themeless character. Um, you know, like that me you know like that you you need, I I want I I want that to be flavorful in some way, you know. Uh, or another, right? Even if it's just like you know, I don't know, something, something kind of general and obvious. Uh, not, not doing it would bug me. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I do worry that themeless is going to kind of fall into the um, hyper optimization trap. It's kind of like the human humans are the best race because they right, get plus yeah. two whatever ability score and they get plus one skill and plus one feat, which are like super super power power picks um and i could see seamless going there too like you get plus one to any skill and plus and plus one to any ability uh score like that sounds like a uh that sounds to me like a a like a power gamer's wet dream right like i get skill in bluff and then like my my uh my ability score is constitution not because this fits any theme but because the rules say i can do so and this gives me the best kind of bang for my buck. Um, <laughs> um, but you know that's that's the, that's that's the only thing I'm worried about. I, I'm 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 hoping that the higher level powers are interesting enough on the other ones that you you uh, kind of miss that effect, uh, which which I think is, is something that will. Um, I think I I have confidence in Paizo to to design their games well. So uh, I hope that uh, yeah. I, 
so uh, related to themes are archetypes, right? Archetypes is something you and I have talked about a lot um, and how much we like them for the system that is, you know, like Pathfinder. Zarfinder is also going to have archetypes, but they are pretty radically different. Um, <coughs> just to explain, what will happen is uh, an archetype is something that can be taken by literally any class, right? It will do the typical archetype thing of subbing out some of your class features for features of that archetype, right? Typically 2nd, 4th, 6th, ninth, 12th, and 18th levels. Um, you have to choose, uh, you, you have to choose an archetype at the time that you would get like the first alternate set of class features. Uh, and the Starfinder core rulebook will launch with two of them. One, the frenetic adept is going to be kind of like a psychic for if your character is kind of like, um, uh, like psychically attuned. And the second will be the Starfinder forerunner, which is a little bit like the Pathfinder society in the world, like in the canon of uh of the game world how do you feel about archetypes so if you were if on its own as you describe it i would tell you that this sounds terrible and all the generic archetypes i've seen from third-party companies have been bland and blah but i think what in order to fully understand this is is also kind of a fundamental redesign of the way classes work um that you can see kind of in the class preview for the mechanic um where i think that a lot of this archetype stuff uh, like what you traditionally think of as archetype stuff is actually being built into the class base. And so um, these work as kind of like a separate thing. In fact, I, I wish they'd called it something different. Um, so in, in the mechanic, just to kind of pull out this example, um, the, there's a very early decision you make between either having a, a drone AI or an AI implanted in your skull. And these kind of very, um, very... Uh, they, they define how your class kind of functions. Now, this is actually very similar to every class in 5e has a couple different options when they hit second or third level. Um, that kind of builds them out. Like, the fighter has the the fighter. He's got the the really good at fighting fighter. He's got the tactician fighter. And he's got, like, the the, the spell blade, which oh, is which kind of has... I did mixed, not actually know that. Mixes a little magic in. Similarly, the warlock, which is the character I play, has the... Um, it has the familiar... It has the more spellcasty warlock, and it has the kind of more martial combat warlock focused with with uh, with with psychic weapon energy warlock, which is I think it's all really cool, um, and I think that that's what they're going for with the stuff in Pathfinder. It seems like th this this mechanic. Me this is gonna sound stupid. The mechanic is the name of the class, so I'm gonna call it the mechanic mechanic. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> uh, this this uh, this mechanic uh, class feature. That, that's better, um, kind of belies that they're going to kind of go this route, right? You could either be the guy with the drone, and the drone, from all we see, has, like, th has a stealth mode, it has a flight mode, or there's a stealth drone, rather, a flight drone, and a combat drone. Um, and so those give you, like, a whole set of variations over there, and then the, the AI implant gives you proficiency with long rifles and heavy armor, which is, like, base, the mechanic doesn't get that. So I think they're doing a lot of those kind of, like, like, what you think of traditionally as archetype stuff in the base class, I think they can expand upon those easily in splat books, right? You can give another path in a splat book and not call it an archetype, even though that's effectively what it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that that means that the that these archetype archetypes, as they're called, um, you know, these generic archetypes fit a very different need. And so, as a kind of extra piece of content, you know, there's two archetypes in this core rulebook. That, to me, signals that they're going to be much less important than they were in 
in base Pathfinder where there's like a thousand archetypes for everything. Um, you and, know what I? You know what though? And on top, of, well, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Actually, no, no, that, that's fine. I was just kind of winding down. You know, given that there's going to be less of them, I think it's okay. Or it seems like there's going to be less of them. I think it's okay for the role that they're filling, so long as they follow <coughs> through on this kind of path type stuff that they're doing with 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 the classes. Uh, so the thing that makes me excited, ridiculously excited about archetypes, is this first line that they have. Um, in, uh, in like one of the paragraphs, which is archetypes are designed to represent sets of abilities you could reasonably gain regardless of your class or theme. But that involves some sort of spe but that involves some sort of special circumstance or training that makes them bad choices for feats. This is going to be the most perfect system for systems like the bonus feats that we currently have going in House Rebels. Right? You can just um, you know like. Someone becomes, you know, like someone joins the ancient order of monks or whatever, and then you write out an archetype for them starting kind of like from that point on yeah. or whatever, right? Like, I think that's going to be a super cool uh, way to use archetypes in home games uh, specifically. Yeah, actually, I think I think that's actually super true. Um, there's also, like, like, I, I think this is what you're getting at. There's a the potential to throw these archetypes onto people to get that theming and... Just tell them you don't have to get rid of your alternate features for yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, Especially with you know, like with a lot of Pathfinder archetypes where like the bonuses are incredibly situational and minor, right? Like I don't think I would mind uh, you know, like like making out a small archetype for someone that carves a niche for themselves in you know, like in the in the context of the game. I think that kind of like back and forth between a player and a GM would actually be really awesome. Yeah, I also I also think this kind of also feels um, kind of the prestige class void. Like, um, just by way of example, uh, one, one of my players in my Wrath of the Righteous game, um, like, was playing a, a, uh, a cavalier of Abadar, and he fits this, this prestige class for just this year perfectly. But that's like a three-level prestige class that doesn't give you a ton of real things along the way, but the flavor fit perfectly. So the way I did that is I put it on, like, a legendary weapon or something. But I think doing something like this where you could, like, throw it on a on an archetype and kind of um, either have it minimally replace things or, you know, like like tune it that way. I think this is a perfect way to kind of inject that level of flavor into the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very on board with that, uh, I guess, with that approach to things. Uh, so I want to talk about classes. Um, we have... Five of the seven classes being uh, like with that that they got their feature kind of release right. Uh, we have the mystic, the mechanic, uh, the soldier, the operative, and the envoy. Um, we talked a little bit about the mechanic first, so that's the one I want to start on. My favorite thing about the mechanic actually is there's one line right at the end of the post that just says like the most amazing thing that is literally, you know, 15 years of playing, you know, like three, five and playing Pathfinder or whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, this, and this one line makes me so happily happy, right? This is actually part of the way that, you know, like the, the drone meld ability works, but it says, you know, you can end the melding of you and your drone and return the, and return the drone to its normal form as a full action. Though it normally acts on your turn just after you, the drone can no longer take actions on that turn other than transforming back, right? Just that one clause, though it normally acts on your turn just after you, just like, I oh, love yeah. it 
so much for explaining what like you know how this uh, you know this built-in essentially animal companion will work for the mechanic yeah no abs absolutely a kind of resolution of like these <laughs> these pet mechanics which are always a fucking headache right like yeah uh, do, they, do they have their own initiatives do they act on the same turn do you like the other thing about this is this is kind of like an AI like the the only other thing I, I need is like a line that says like and the drone does what you tell it to without having to like like oh should you make a handle animal check should, you, <laughs> oh should it just work should you like Give it a command, but it's an animal so it doesn't quite understand you, so the GM does his best job of interpreting it in the best way an animal would be able to. And, like, that, like all those levels of kind of, like, uh, are just unhelpful and, like, mind-numbing. like mind -numbing. Um, Yeah. And and I think I, I think kind of the, the approach they seem to have gone into this is with, with, like, eliminating a lot of that kind of, like, weird wonkiness and, like, doing the calculations based around that. Um, will make this make for this to be a, a lot smoother of a game. Um, then, uh, uh, yeah, than yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, but anyway, I guess that you know, like, so we we talked about what the core mechanic for the for the mechanic. God, this is this is tough. Uh, the this I guess this is why they called them tech specialists in Star Wars. Um, what the core mechanic for the mechanic is, uh, and it really comes down to like how you want to use that machine. Do you want to have a little drone buddy or do you want to have an AI? Uh, the AI seems to want you to go the, uh, the Iron Man route of kind of having the voice inside of you, like Jarvis essentially inside of your head, uh, which I actually think is a very cool idea. I like, I like that it allows you to kind of open up combat, um, in a new, more nuanced way, Almost, you know what I mean? Like I, I like I, I feel like I could look at a mechanic, uh, like a combat-focused kind of like AI mechanic like this, and uh, I could look at you know like a soldier, right? And they could be very comparable characters, but the flavor is entirely different, right? Because like where the soldier has all this training or you know like weapon skill or whatever else, right? Like the mechanic is relying on you know the AI to do auto targeting and stuff like that right and i think that that's a very you know like a very neat uh, a neat way to kind of like systemize the flavorful difference between what a mechanic is and what a uh, you know like what a soldier will end up being yeah no I, I, I absolutely um i i think that they've built a lot more kind of hmm, what's what's the way i want to put this they're None of the base classes, except for maybe the Solarian, seem to be kind of like locked into these super, super hard themes, like the like you get with like the Paladin, and like maybe like uh, like what's another good example of, of a class with like a really locked in theme? Uh, we've talked about this before. Um, uh, Druid. Uh, well, I mean, there's you know, I, I there's better ones than Druid. Now that yeah. I think about it, um, um, Investigator, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas. Like, so, so a lot of these classes seem, like, relatively kind of, like, fighter level of, 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 maybe not fighter level because fighter is, like, super broad, but, like, like, you know, enough theming, like, 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 like a swashbuckler, right? Enough theming to give you a nice little taste, but wide enough that you can interpret that in, in kind of any way you want to. Um, and enough class variety to kind of, like, let you, let you kind of, uh, pull the whole, uh, come up from that, um. Which I th which which I think is 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 a kind of uh, a good way to put it, right? Like there, there's monk monk would be another good example of something that has like very strong theming tied to it. Um, 
which they kind of like pulled back by adding the brawler, which kind of gives you the same type of thing, but like a little bit, a uh, little bit less, less, uh, you know, monkey. As, yeah, yeah, definitely. As it would be, but yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, definitely see what you're saying with this kind of like different, different sources. Um, I actually think that this is. You were talking about the the, the mechanic versus the soldier. Um, I think this is also going to be really cool with the technomancer versus the mechanic, because this is this reminds me almost of the, uh, of the, uh, of the 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 shadow run, the rigor versus the um. Well, what's what technomancer? What's, it is it is technomancer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, that kind of thing, right? Like the the difference between someone who's mechanically gifted and someone who's like magically mechanical. Um, I think that'll I think that'll all be. Um, like th- that kind of spectrum, right? You go, f- you're just like soldier to mechanic to technomancer is kind of the spectrum of like how things interact with technology in the world and the different feelings around it. And I think, I think that'll, I think that's, um, a little bit smoother than it has been in Pathfinder where things seem to be kind of like, uh, kind of like put into, into boxes very, especially with some of the later stuff, like. Um, as much as I love the gunslinger class, I think that the gunslinger is like a very weird choice for like a full class because it's, it's very kind of very, well, not very tight thematically It's very tight kind of mechanics wise. It's like you're a guy who uses guns, which is a very weird thing. I think to build a whole class around. Um, and I, I think that kind of that, 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 uh, keep it like these, these base classes are a little bit more generalist again, except for maybe the Solarian, but we know they haven't released a class preview for the Solarian, have they? Uh, no, the Solarian and the Technomancer are still uh, up for grabs. We, we have not seen the class previews for those two. Yeah. They've um, talked a little bit about the Technomancer in the context of uh, like some of the other classes, right? Like apparently something that Technomancers can do is kind of put short-term, which I actually kind of like this a lot. And I think that this is a little bit interesting. Uh, and I want to see if they can kind of like make it work because I think buff gameplay is typically pretty weak in in pathfinder um but where they put very temporary buffs on uh like on like like technology right like your armor or your weapons or something like that and i think having a version of the technomancer that looks like that who's kind of casting spells that are you know it gives you a plus three accuracy and damage for a round you know like whatever else kind of thing i think that's actually very very cool and compelling yeah i I agree my big thing with buffs, I mean, and this also goes back, like, way back to the design of that Warlord character I made, or class that I made, um, is that I think that these things have to be very short duration, otherwise people just forget about them. You know what I mean? Say that one more time, sorry. I think that I think that for, the, for like, a buff character, right, um, you need to make them very short durations, otherwise people forget about them this is kind of yeah. why i always i've always thought that the bard doesn't really work right you know like like inspire courage plus one plus one you know like that's nice and everything like that but it's kind of you know like it's something that just is easy to forget and you know yeah i, 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 think, I never want to put it on my paper because like it's a temporary thing but it's going to last the whole combat effectively but only if i'm within 30 you know what i mean like all of that kind of stuff and it's like well listen if the if the combat is 15 fucking you know or if the if the song is 15 rounds long and i'm getting net plus 15 plus 15 let's chop some off of that make it you know plus five plus seven and make it a burst you know what i mean i think that you know that's a yeah, I, I think I think you could also pull a lot of that out by doing things like, like instead of 
like this is all speculative. Like, there's no indication that any of this is going to be in the game. But making encounter like powers like instead of making them like things that approximate like encounters long, right? Like things that are like instead of like minutes and ten minutes segments, making them like or round minutes, like make them last for like either a round or two or the entire combat or like the entire day. And those are your those are your kind of your cutoff points, like you know, like you know. Um, kind of like the, the 4E style of like making things like once per encounter or once per, uh, once per day, the, those level of powers, I think can like, cause if you have it one per the encounter, I think you can mark it down and you don't have to worry about ever like when, when I should or shouldn't apply this. If it's always applied, um, in that encounter, you can remember to apply that on your turn. Um, and if it's per day, you can write down on your character sheet, um, in kind of like a, a, a place, um. I think I think those kinds of changes would 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 really help streamline the system. Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, <coughs> did you have uh, like did you have any any aspects of the uh, of the? Uh, so one thing I did want to point out, or this is really small, but um, I forget where they listed it, but they basically said that like a lot of like these these kind of niggly, uh, you know, one per weapon feats like weapon focus and and a lot of these kind of stuff like that they're being applied to broad classes of weapons as opposed to just individual weapons which is fucking phenomenal right yeah, this, it really this, is this is a long-standing home home rule that i've had that like weapon focus applies to weapon fighter groups they have they built fucking feats for it because you know they can't this is so just kind of in a word the fact that they are building Starfinder from the ground up and they don't have to respect the fact that people went and bought Pathfinder books um, is great because it lets them change things with Reckless Abandon. Like, like I love on Pathfinder Unchained, but it can't care. They can't carry any of that forward into any of the spots. The only thing they carry forward is the Summoner Unchained, just because the original Summoner was so fundamentally broken that they got rid of. They basically wrote that out of the canon. But like the other Unchained classes don't get the same treatment in the spot books. Um, and yeah. because they have to represent or they have to re respect rather owners of the uh, of the core rulebook, they can't make these kind of major commentaries. It can be like, well, this would be neat if you chose to do it in the Unchained book, but they can't like they can't build forward assuming everybody's doing <laughs> excuse me doing that anymore, which is something that's gonna be that that's great about this for Starfinder. I think will be uh, great whenever they decide to make Pathfinder two, which I fully expect in like another five years or so. Yeah, I mean, I really do. I really do this. kind of hope that they make a Pathfinder two where. Uh, I mean, it, I guess it depends on Starfinder. Really, could suck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we could we could all load up Starfinder and find it is awful. Um, and that's a possibility. Though my read on you know my read on things is that it probably won't end up uh, in that in that vein. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like if I, I feel like if they were to use Starfinder as a kind of opportunity to say, okay, you know what we are going to, you know what I mean? Like we're going to patch Pathfinder as best that we can. If we're going to release Pathfinder, you know, 2.0, we're going to change all the, you know, like all of these, all of these kinds of things. Um, and I honestly think that some of it will be, uh, like I, you know, like I think some of it could be like cooler. interesting. I, it, like the a version of Pathfinder 2.0 where they sell me the same rule book essentially twice, but it's a little bit updated, right? That's the same thing that 3.5 did to 3.0. You know what I mean? And I like I like that's definitely a possibility um, to change the fundamentals of your design structure, I guess. 
Uh, and I and I hope that we see more uh, like more more of that kind of thing in the future. Yeah, I, that's I, not I, that's not really about Starfinder, I guess. That's just about Paizo in general. Right, but I mean, it's 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 clear that Star that that Paizo is willing to kind of like push these rule systems forwards with Starfinder. Right, they didn't just make Pathfinder in space; they made decisions that will that will boost this into like, um, you know, boost this game into something that's 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 different and distinct and has a lot of cool rules optimizations that they can then t i'm sure they are going to run starfinder for a couple of years and take those lessons and start building pathfinder too that, that's that's my read listeners if we're still around in five years july 5th 2017 mango's calling a a, a pathfinder 2 by 2022 well well uh, done well played um, um yeah Okay, uh, so I just want to go over. I do. I want to finish out these classes because I think there's parts in here that are super neat. Uh, so the soldier, uh, in the same way that the mechanic gets to choose between, you know, like a drone and an AI, the soldier actually has seven different fighting styles to choose from. All right, there are arcane assailant, armor storm, blitz, bombard, guard, and hit, guard hit and run and sharpshoot. Okay. Um, and then they get a bunch of abilities like related to their fighting style and can opt into a second fighting style at level nine, right? How do you feel about these and what do you think that these things like represent? Um, so this is what I was talking about when I said that like, you know, there's a kind of 5e path feeling stuff. Like the Envoy and the Mystic don't have it nearly as much. But the the soldier soldier has seven fucking options. Yeah. It's like <laughs> these like that's seven out like assuming I hope they have enough content in the core rulebook to make these feel full. Um, I fully expect more styles, more options for each of the existing styles to be to, to play out in the splat. Um, and I think that that's all kind of like the like this is kind of like what happened with with fighters. Fighters have like an infinite number of archetypes, right? Like we 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 could sit here and just list off archetypes for fighter and probably fill the entire fucking podcast. <laughs> um, and this is, I think, an attempt to capture that kind of diverse set of things that come out of, like, your basic fighting grunt. And I do like the fact that they've gone with some weird ones. Like, the one that they featured, the class feature from, is kind of like the Eldritch Knight version, right? The, uh, the, uh, the, the Arcane Assailant, which gives you a little bit of magic flavor in your fighter. Um, and I, I think that th this is kind of, like, the right way to go. If, if I had the choice, I'd kind of build every class kind of on this model of, like, base class with like a whole bunch of kind of a uh, path options uh, maybe not maybe not seven seven seems seven's a lot um but uh but you know like th three like three or five e style you know three to five options per class and i i think this is great i'm, I'm super excited for it by the way, uh, this is where uh, they talk a little bit about like feat structure and stuff like that. One of the things they say is, other than proficiencies and specializations, feats generally have at least one other feat and a few base attack or ability score minimums as prerequisites, making even a few bonus feats able to cover a wide range of options. Um, for example, shot on the run requires only mobility, uh, a plus four base attack bonus, and a 15 dexterity, right? Uh, which talks to a little bit about uh, how the, you know, like how the soldier, um, you know, like what, what the feats will look. It, you're not going down these super long convoluted feat chains, it feels like. Uh, it seems like they're going to make feats a little bit shallower, which honestly I am not on board for. I think deep feats are good. 
but I am certainly on board for kind of cleaning up prerequisites to uh, to make them a little bit more kind of straightforward and consistent. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that... Uh, I honestly think that, like... I don't know if I'd, I'd be super on board with this, but the, the way that... You know, to bring it back to these 5e compared to keep making um, 5e feats are an optional system, but they're like super impactful. Like power attack is minus five to hit plus 10 damage. Holy um, shit. Um, and yeah. And, but you only get feats at like four, eight, 12, 16, 20 if you want to, and it replaces what is otherwise an ability score increase of two. Um, so, and, and like, that's also not the only thing that that feat does. I forget what the rest of it does, but like, that's all kind of like built into like, these these hyper powered feats that you get a lot fewer of, so they feel a little bit more impactful. Um, I am kind of I, I love kind of like the the endless customization that feats give you, so I'm very happy that they're um, making uh, there's, you're keeping feats at every odd level and um, uh, and and for the you know fighter fighter with feats the class looks like soldier is also going in that direction. Um, uh, and so I, I'm excited for kind of like the variety that can give you, but I definitely. F- uh, fill your concerns with like the, with the potential shallowing of 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 what feats mean, um, because like I I feel like that was actually a real weakness of four is that feats felt like super, super oh, nothing just mega weak yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh okay uh so then there is also the mystic, um the mystic is one that I don't really know how I feel about it to be honest with you. Um, they, uh, they also have the same kind of choice thing, I guess, which is, um, you know, like, so they have this thing, it's called a connection, right? And, uh, the, and the, many of their, like, choices are boiled into what that connection is. Um, it might be a god, uh, it might be a philosophy, a mysterious patron, uh, or apparently nearly anything else a player chooses. Um, each connection has a specific focus that grants the mystic a set of powers and bonus spells known, which makes me think that they're a bit, they're essentially, um, kind of going to be a little bit like, uh, domains almost. Yeah, yeah, seems like um, it. you know, and I don't even know what most of these mean, right? Like Akashic, uh, empath, healer, mind breaker, overlord, or star shaman. The only one that makes sense to me in there is, is mind breaker and healer. Uh, but the others, I'm a little bit like, huh? What? Overlord? What the fuck does that mean? Uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, and like, uh, the, the ones you mentioned, um, like, this is again kind of falls into like the, some of these are going to be very generic with like, with abilities you expect. And I think a lot of like, like Akashic if I had to guess, it's probably going to be something like, uh, like this is the option you take if you want to be like a pathfinder, like if you want to be a a, a cleric t- style mystic or something like that. Um, just because we're, we're, I'm expecting a lot of these to be very the- thematically focused. Uh, Star Shaman is I don't, I don't even fucking know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, I know, that's, that's a very, I'm also a little bit like empath, like. Does that does that make you like the face of your party? I guess. I, I bet I bet you. So I bet you a lot of these options are going to kind of be like like I was saying with 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 five E again because I do think they very t- clearly took a bunch of inspiration from five E. Um, 
this is going to be like if you want to push your character in the um, in the kind of the face direction, you pick empaths. If you want to be the healer, you pick healer. Um, I'm sure one of these will be give you a little bit more proficiency and make you more of like a, 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 a hybrid fighter. Um, uh, and uh, Mindbreaker is probably like uh, probably like a debuffer or something like that. I, I bet you they all kind of map to those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Uh, the other one, uh, there are uh, an, uh, another class, because I don't really have anything else to say, is Envoy. Um, Envoy is actually a little bit like the Investigator in that one of its big, big kind of powerhouse features is called Expertise, uh, which is a lot like Inspiration, it feels like, where you're adding 1d6 um, to certain skill checks, depending on stuff, I guess. Um and uh, and they also get they also get these things called improvisations, which uh, are allow them to make like like do a little bit of what like Beauregard does in a lot of situations. To be honest, where you, where you are using improvisations on uh, your allies or their or your enemies in order to like like uh, make stuff work for the allies and so like in a way this feels a lot like that kind of like warlord tactician moving everyone around the map uh sort of sort of gameplay uh which i think is actually pretty clever it's about it's about the best way that you can go with this envoy i feel like yeah um of of the revealed classes this one seems to have the least amount of kind of like those base variations i was talking about like it seems to be all in the improvisations which um it's gonna depend highly on on the variety of those i think um, I'm interested in the Envoy because it looks like I'm glad that having the Envoy in the core rulebook rather than having like the investigator in like the seventh hardcover or whatever it was, uh -huh. um, I think kind of speaks to a desire to kind of move that style of character closer to like the heart of the gameplay rather than having it be kind of like an afterthought, like, oh, we could make a skill monkey character, um. And I think that that's that's good for people who want to kind of play that that way, because um, I think it'll it'll be at the top of it, it means that it's at the top of developers' minds when they're trying to to, to build out what the world is. Um, but it does seem kind of like the odd man out in this set. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I also think that because it's one of the first, they hadn't quite figured out what the template for these previews would look like. Like this yeah. feels like a weaker, weaker preview than some of the other ones because they don't quite talk about. Um... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, if there's been if there will be, have been a significant like expansion uh, of that when uh when when the thing actually comes out. Um, although they did. I think they did a decent job with the operative, which is the, the kind of last one we haven't discussed yet. Um, and that has, again, seven specializations. Um, and, you know, they represent seven specializations in the core rulebook. I think, you know, this is a hint that, like, specializations all appear in the splats, right? Like, all this stuff is going to be splatted out to hell uh, because, unlike Wizards, Paizo is just going to keep, like... Wizards has Magic the Gathering, and they can just kind of do whatever the fuck they want with Dungeons & Dragons and be like, oh, we'll put out some other content some other time, and you'll fucking like it. Once every fucking year, you, yeah. you <laughs> Whereas Pi was like, well, all we do is this, so uh, have a splat every month. Um, um, but the, the specializations, just to be complete, are Daredevil, Detective, Explorer, Ghost, Hacker, Spy, and Thief. Which I think, as compared to the, uh, the, the, the connections, are a lot clearer in what they're going to be. Um, 
you know, detective seems like you're going to get pieces of the investigator in there. Uh, Daredevil's probably going to be, like, acrobatic, you know, that that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I feel like Ghost is going to get the cloaking field. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, okay, sorry. The Ghost does get the cloaking field, but I feel like the Ghost thing is going to all be about, you know, stealth. being stealth. Yeah, like, stealth and stuff like that. Though I'm very interested by what the, di like, the difference between, like, the Ghost hacker, or, sorry, the Ghost spy and thief will end up being. You know what I mean? Well, like, is the thief going to be a little bit more, um, you know, like, pickpockety or... I, I don't know. You, I really I wonder you, about that. I bet you the spy gets a little bit more facey type stuff. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about the, the thief and the ghost. So it'll be interesting to read. Um, um, something I do want to speak to, though, that this kind of all hints at is that I like the fact that, like, it seems like a lot of kind of, like, the lines between glasses are being blurred, like, um, the differences between the hacker uh, operative and the stealth drone, uh, the stealth drone mechanic are going to be a lot closer to each other, I think. And I think that's going to be really cool for kind of like building a character and kind of like, like, I feel like the space is going to be super well covered. So you can kind of pinpoint where you want your character to, to be in like a fantasy world and kind of mess around with a couple different options on how to build out that fantasy. Uh, which is something I, I've, you know, I've talked about a lot. Like you can build like the 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 fighting the the fighting priest as a cleric, a war priest, or a particularly devout fighter, or a paladin, and kind of get different flavors there. But they all they're they're all a little bit like I feel like the borders there are all a little bit further away from each other. Whereas yeah. it feels like the, the the like you know the 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 space covered by this is all going to be a little bit more tightly interwoven. Um, without, I think, sacrificing a lot of breath, which I'm excited for. Um, although I do, I, I, this kind of, I definitely think the big thing to watch for is what the fuck a Solarian is, because. Oh man, do I agree with you there? Um, I, I, like, not that it will like, if it's bad, I don't think it's gonna like ruin the game or anything. But like that, that's gonna be really telling as to like what maybe some of the other design philosophies. And I think there's a there's a good like I think that's kind of like the reason why it's uh why it's it hasn't been previewed yet because it's it's going to be the most starfinder thing in the system everything else could kind of be lifted into some other kind of space fantasy system right like you could you could run like a shadow run game with most of these rules um but solarian is going to be the most distinctively space galarian thing here uh what is it Ab uh, absalom station what what's 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 the star system called is there like a world for it packed i actually don't no, Absalom Station is like the station that was in orbit around Galarian. Yeah. So, uh, uh I'm also on an on, on that kind of note. I'm actually super excited to see if they ever like kind of hint at what the fuck was up with Galarian. Because one of the coolest pieces of lore to me about this new system is that uh, Galarian kind of disappeared several hundred years ago, um, and no one kind of knows why. And while that makes sense for some of the younger races. They also wrote in this thing where it's like, yeah, the people that were around then, like, just can't remember. It's like this weird, like, unsolved mystery. And while I fully expect them to never solve that mystery because, you know, in fantasy world, the plot can never really uh, move forward. Uh, I think it's really cool to see how they're going to hint around that. Because um, I think that's, I, that's something that's really intriguing about the world that I like. Um, oh, that's something, uh, that's something that's really intriguing about the world that I don't like that much um, mostly because uh mostly because as far as i'm concerned they're really only doing it 
um, to uh, uh, they're, they're, they're like they're really only doing it to cover for the fact that they can't put like definitive endings on what the history of Galarian is. You know what I mean? Like sure. this is something that they've talked about pretty publicly like a bunch of times, which is part of why I find it relatively frustrating. Um, because I kind of like I like I want this I want this answer right like and I want to and I want to know. Um, and mostly the reason, and mostly like the reason why is because I think like there's like cool story stuff in there, but I really feel like they just should bite the bullet and like explain it and be like, you can ignore this shit if you want, make your own lore, who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I think also kind of by hinting at it, you free it, like, I think it'd be really cool to kind of, um, talk like a little bit about stuff we've talked about with Star Wars to like... Play a campaign, which is kind of, like, towards the end of Galarian, where, like, you play, like, elves and dwarves, or uh, or even if it's some of the shorter-lived races, on one side, and, like, with the Pathfinder rules, and there's a time skip, and then, like, there's, you're playing the same, cre- the same characters or, like, their descendants in space. I think that's a potential unlocked by this this whole thing that I think would be really cool. Yeah, that, that's definitely true, and I do think that that would be, uh, that would be pretty neat. Yeah, um, I I think we'll, uh, I don't know, I, I think, I think if they're ever going to do this, you're going to see those kind of answers come out around the release of Pathfinder 2, um, which, uh, uh, Ooh, okay. like, I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, you can write what happens to Gal- like, cause I, I think the big, big disconnect is that, like, or the biggest disconnect, even kind of to contradict what I just said, is that, like, we're not going to go from hammers and swords and armor, like, and we're not going to, like, put those all in a spaceship and go to space, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. going to be, like, a period of, like, you know, you know, rel- like, modern, co- like, you know, uh, our modern level society and um, that kind of, like, gets passed through, at least in some, in some sense, may- maybe it's not as as uh as as modern as we are right now but, but before you get to space right like um and i think you can talk about those events and never make a game for it because i don't think anybody wants to play like paizo modern um. <laughs> yeah i agree with you there um yeah i mean i even think being kind of like simple and straightforward about it uh would just be you know what i mean like look if they just want to say hey listen at some point the industrial revolution happened and it hit Absalom and then all of the bad empires lost and all the good empires won. And then they, they, they figured out, they, they figured out space. Yay. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to be incredibly in depth about it, but I do think that there should be some kind of like history or like answer, uh, there. And I think that this, this like memory gap thing is just like a huge, uh, you know, you know what I think else? it's cheap. I just think it's cheap. <laughs> You know, you know what wouldn't surprise me is if, like, <clears throat> at some point there's, like, an adventure path or a series of Starfinder Society adventures that reveals this answer. This, this this screams to me like the kind of thing that, like, you want players discovering in a world event, right? Like, people play around it for a while, and then, like, at Gen Con 57, right, like, there's the big, the big, the big marquee Paizo event is, like, what happened to fucking Galarian. Um, yeah, All happening I mean... at the same time. 
Okay, maybe. I kind of doubt it. I think it's going to be one of those things a little bit... You know how, like, they've always talked about that Galarian uh, is not the only continent. There's that continent on the west, in the west, or whatever. Oh, um, yeah, like, the, like the, the Mesoamerica type thing. Right, right, but that, like, they want that... They, they don't want to describe that for you. They want you to write that into the game yourself sort of thing. I kind of feel like that's how they're going to approach yeah. this, uh, which is, again, I think cheap. Um, but, uh, that's, Wait, I guess that's what I've we got, have. Oh, what are you, what else? You have? I want to make one bold prediction. Cause oh. the, the thing that's like this in Pathfinder is what happened to, um, the, the God that, uh, the Ayamade was the, uh, what was oh, the right. herald Aridin. for? Aridin. Aridin. What happened to Aridin? Predicting it now, Aridin comes back and eats like, like fucks up Galarian or something like that. Um, like, wow, that I, is a bold prediction. Uh, twenty twenty seven. That's my that's my prediction when that will be revealed. <laughs> okay. Ten years, I'm giving Fair you pi- ten years, Paizo. Um, if I if I'm right, I will, I you know I'll I'll be very happy. But yeah, bold predictions. Mark your calendars, July fifth, twenty twenty seven. Remind me, readers or listeners, if I'm wrong. I'm also incredibly optimistic about the longitude of this podcast or like the longevity of this podcast. That's true. Uh, so, uh, uh, we're also going to come back to all this stuff once Starfinder does officially release, right? I want to, I like now, like now I want to, I want to give out kind of like this, these previews, these impressions, right? Cause I know some of you only learn about this stuff through our podcasts and that's cool. Uh, but we will be returning to them once everything gets released to see how much, like, like how everything kind of measures up in the nitty gritty, right? Uh, and that's and that's something else that I am hella excited for. Um, but besides that, how's your week been, Mango? Uh, it's been all right. What have I been doing? I've been playing. I've still been playing a bunch of PUBG. Love that game. Uh, we talked about it last episode, so I'm not gonna go too much into it. Um, played a little bit of Duck Game. Just kind of tested out that game is neat but it's there's not a ton of people on so i don't it's it's, it's a multiplayer own, or there are single player challenges but it's a multiplayer focused game and so uh um it is it is i have not i don't know i, I feel like it, it's a neat thing but it needs more players um uh what else have i been playing uh not much in terms of video games the big thing i think i wanted to talk about was uh I saw Baby Driver. Um, I love that movie. Uh, I think it's 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 great. I think you should all go see it. Have you seen it yet? No, I'm gonna see it probably next week. Okay, so maybe we'll do go a little bit more in depth on it. But like, I don't you know, kind of in the way that you're like that, that, that you know, you talk about like movies maybe are not the greatest, but they've got like they they click for you in a lot of ways. They've got high ambition. This movie had a lot of like kind of like mango bait in it. Oh, that, yeah. like, like, like the w- one of the core concepts of the movie is that the whole thing's set to a soundtrack, um, and like everything happens in synchronicity with the, with the soundtrack, and that is just like that is like my my jam. Like that is oh, that's so I love that so much. Um, <laughs> I love kind of like shots on the beat, like reload, like you know every everything choreographed well. Like I I got a lot of that from John Wick as well, uh, which is part of why I love that movie so much, even though it wasn't as big a part of that movie. Um, you know, I won't, no, I, won't... I, I definitely on board. I mean, I think it's a little bit more explicit here, but I think that there is something to be said for that kind of rhythm. Yeah. Uh, like in a movie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it was perfect, but I definitely think it's, think it's worth, worth seeing. 
recommend it to everybody out there, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more next week if you get the chance to see it. Um, I don't think there's anything else big for me to talk about, um, just because uh, everything else has kind of been... Uh, uh, we did some planning for Gen Con, which uh, you didn't show up to, you bastard. Uh, I slept through it. Well, yeah. Bob. Um, but you know, I did sign up for a fifth edition game, which I'm really happy about. That, that is that, that was is, something that I was looking for. That is that is that is great. I'm uh, we've we've signed up for uh, a launch of another space game, the second edition of Alternity, um, which is something I'm excited for just because I like. Oh, I like and you're not doing TDA anymore, right? Yeah, I really wanted to play Edge of the Empire, and the spot opened up, but it was during our TDA slot, and. As much as I wanted to do TDA, I want to play Edge of the Empire more, and so I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, uh, and that's 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 that that's that. I guess. Fair enough. Yeah. How's your week been? Uh, pretty good. I've been playing a lot of. Uh, we're going to talk about this in the future a little bit, but I've been playing Fallout Four, uh, which has been going fine. I guess I'm really I don't, I don't want to I, I have a lot to say about it uh kind of like the year and a half later with all of the DLC and some mods installed uh like I like I have lots of stuff to say about like kind of fallout um especially in comparison to how hard I railed on it last year uh, or the year before I guess um but uh but we're gonna save that we're gonna save that for the future I guess uh I did finally finish Factorio we were able to launch the rocket into space uh there's just something so hypnotically amazing about that game but I have a feeling that it's gonna be a tough game for me to revisit um because like so much of the game is about figuring out how you like to set things up right and what kind of tactics and strategies can you make for making, like, the most kind of efficient uh, and, like, straightforward kind of, like, factory for yourself, right? And there's a lot of, and there's, like, a lot of, like, you know, you're squeezing stuff together and you're not thinking things through. And so you make dumb decisions or poor choices or whatever. Right now you have to kind of, like, compensate for them. But at this point, I literally, I mean, like, my, my the playthrough took, like, 50 hours, right? I've just played so much of the game that I have a pretty good handle on what I think makes for good factorio play um that uh that i'm just not that i'm just not sure i don't know i don't know how i feel about it. i'm not sure that i will be able to make uh uh to, to go back to factorio without just feeling like you know i've already figured out what i want to figure out and i'm just kind of going through the motions almost um and the last thing i did is i loaded up payday 2 because I don't know why, because I wanted to. It was actually it was actually before the podcast. <laughs> I was just sitting there, and I, it was one of the Steam games that I installed on my new computer, and I was like, let's give this a shot. And they have radically redone that game, um, but without without actually effect, like you know like all of the stats and stuff that I used to know about like the meta for the game and everything, like all of that stuff is gone. But like the core gameplay loop of shooting bad guys. Uh, that's still there and I'm still super you know like I'm still super into it they added like a bunch of difficulty levels and everything like that oh I find it so I find it so interesting and so cool the biggest thing that they did is they broke things into much more explicit talent trees right it used to be that you had your class you know and you had to spend a certain amount of points in your class to get like the higher level stuff right 
Um, now it is each of those classes has like a, a has an explicit talent tree, right? Like the mastermind has the medic, the crowd control, and the sharpshooter, right? Like those are the three things that are in that you know like that are in that tree, right? The enforcer has the armor tree, the shotgun tree, and um, and like the moving around with bags uh, and like ammo bags tree, right? Um, and so that kind of stuff is super cool and super interesting and really on board to check it out. Uh, in fact, I might play a little bit more after this. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know. I like Payday too. I like Payday a lot. And I just like, I can't help but co go back to that game. A lot of playing PUBG has actually made me want to go back and play Payday. Well, that, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Like, I feel like the gunplay is okay in PUBG, but like, it's not great. Uh, like it doesn't have that John Wick feel to it. It kind of has like a... Uh, I don't know. What's a movie where a guy who doesn't know how to shoot a gun shoots a gun? That's kind of yeah. what it feels like in PUBG. <laughs> like, yeah, well, you know, that's because you have to fight people instead of, like, stupid robots. No, you... I think it's because... Well, I actually think it's because the, the you know, uh, the game isn't about that empowerment that Payday is about, right? Like, Payday, you you know, like, yeah, it's about mowing down tons and tons of these, you know, like, of these cops or whatever. That's the, that is explicitly, essentially, the point of, you know, like, the point of the game. And so the guns need to feel powerful and responsive uh, and stuff like that. But, uh, but PUBG, you know, like, the guns, um, like, because so much of the game is kind of about that tension. And there's also a very, like, almost, like, do-it-yourself-ish aesthetic because like you kind of have this thing of like you're making the best out of what you got with PUBG that I feel like having the gunplay be a little bit like looser in your hands is a big is a big part of it you know what I mean like it's not just about the balance of you know we can't have you know a, a, like incredibly accurate hit scan weapons right it is also a bit about that uh about like depowering you the player um to kind of like fit that that like tension catharsis cycle you know what i mean that's fair yeah i i definitely get that yeah um yeah i mean i haven't really been playing a lot of uh, i haven't really been playing a lot of pubg there's so much we wanted to talk about pubg is there anything that you want to like talk about now um uh, that we didn't quite get to um something i wanted to talk about a little bit was uh was was is uh essentially sound design um like th this is something we, we touched on briefly though that we never got to but i i feel like i feel like a, a huge part of PUBG is is how is, is how sound interacts with uh um with everything right like the, the the game is 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 so more dependent on sound than i think almost every other game that i've played Ooh, really? Um, I think there are plenty of games like Overwatch, for instance, is a big one for me, where the sound see, design is important. Uh, so, so when I say sound design, I, I rather like the sound. The sounds of Overwatch are neat, and like they they make the game more enjoyable. But I don't think they play as as, as much a role in the gameplay. Oh, um, really? I think they play a huge role. Like, I mean, I you know, I think it's a pretty basic. Like, I think it's a pretty basic thing but i think they do it really well where they use sound um in order to communicate things to the player 
right? If you are walking around a corner and you hear like Yuji no Kofa or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that that that's important. That's important to the to the game. I, I think it's I do think it's important to the game, but I don't think it's as important as kind of like sitting and listening for every little every, every little thing that's happening is in PUBG. Right? Like Fair like, enough. Like like yeah, that that signals what's happening to the players that can't see it. But that's kind of like and while I do think it's good design and I do think it's, it's they're good markers, um and in the tense situations where you're not finding somebody like the kind of like heaviness of the footsteps, I think that's all cool. I don't think it approaches kind of the level of kind of like because the game the PUBG is based a lot around of like hiding and and looking around and being very hyper observant of your area because if you die you can't you know that that's it um the kind of like uh like super attention to to sound and like you know the trade-offs of like if i'm driving a car everybody's gonna know i'm coming um and if i'm running you know people can hear that too uh oh see you know i think i think so many of my encounters in PUBG have been long range encounters that i don't know that i agree about sound being i don't know i mean even at i definitely range... i definitely agree with you that i think it's important but i don't know that i think it that well well you know actually now that i think about it, it is more it's far more important than basically anything else right um even at long range kind of like the ability like you know the 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 bullet whizzes and the ground pings and then the crack of the gun that's like, true. Yeah. Okay. That sells me. Yeah. That, that uh, like all being able to hear gunfire in specific directions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, you, like <laughs> you know, like there's gunfire over the hill, right? Like that. That's potential engagement that you have to deal with. Um, and know. also the proximity base of those microphones. I actually love yeah. that mechanic, and I wish that it was uh, more. Re Man. Like I, you know, you know, like I wish that you could like sign into like a private server or something like that. Where you have to have your mic open at all times, you know what I mean? But it's like squad based, and so it's yeah. like, you know, like they can hear us coming and they can hear us strategizing, you know, like that kind of stuff. I think would be really cool and interesting. Yeah, uh, I just think that's kind of a hard thing to enforce because like Discord exists and it's never yeah. going to not exist. Yeah, I have uh, no idea how you would not. I mean, even if you even if you did kind of like have a server where like this is like the the, the you definitely have people that are like all on a group phone call or whatever instead yeah. sort of thing to, uh, um, yeah. Um, well, you know, it would be, uh, like, I, I think those mechanics are just, but I just, I just don't think they're there. I just the, don't think it's technologically possible. Really. Yeah. 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 You can't give someone con like, you want to be able to give these PUBG guys, whatever they're, they're like blue, whatever, um, the, enough control of your computer to guarantee for them. Uh, yeah, that you are, you know, like that you're not cheesing, uh, cheesing the system. Yeah. The, the way I could see this kind of thing working would be something like if you had like a, um, like a, like a, an arcade or something where like the, the setup. Ooh. Yeah. Um, is there is there for you or like honestly I think you could do it on consoles like they they added party chat I guess you could just call someone on the phone though uh, yeah it's just impo it's just really like impossible to enforce uh, yeah. that kind of a thing I think it would be awesome I think it would be amazing and I love that kind of like tactical uh, you know like low level gameplay to to all of it but it's just uh, it's just not something that could like feasibly exist I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's just that's the thing that has to happen in a controlled environment, which is, you know. Um, so, uh, since we got a little bit of time left, this is something I wanted to ask a little, you a little bit about, um, around our E3 episode, but we kind of ran out of time. Um, something that I've, I've seen a little bit more are these kind of like esports specific and like Twitch integrated games. What do you think of them? Um, like, Can like, you give the, me a good example. Uh, in particular, I think it was for the Xbox conference. They, I mean, I might be wrong about that. They showed a game with like a cartoony style that was like a kind of, kind of like, um, uh, PUBG, and I think it was a Last Man Standing type of game. But like they, 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 they're previewing the game and they pull out and there's a shoutcaster doing shoutcasting live for this match, and um, it seems like the viewers were able to like, like throw in like bonuses to the players. Oh, which, what? Yeah, that is. The coolest thing I have heard. I see. So something I was actually thinking about recently uh, was like the kind of esports appeal of PUBG in this sense. And uh, and this was off the cast. But then I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I actually think that there's a version of PUBG that works a lot like the Hunger Games where it is not meant to be a competitive sport. It's a spectator sport um in the in the sense of you know almost like pro wrestling but like hypothetically not fake you know what i mean um where the viewers absolutely could get involved and like fucking you're like the viewers are the ones that send the packages uh they choose what's in the care package and stuff like that i think that kind of stuff would be really awesome and really cool uh in the right like in the right kind of vein in the right kind of environment like i think a version of uh, of like of PUBG where i can look at you playing and i can like right click on the game and say like send care package for 99 cents or something like that you know what i mean and then a, ca- a care patches care package drops near you um like that kind of i mean it would be hideously like unbalanced in a kind of inside of the game professional sense but if the goal of your game isn't about making the experiences of playing it right if the goal of your game is to make the experience of watching Watching it very cool yeah yeah, i think that that kind of stuff would work wonders i think that's super neat yeah i just i what i worry about is kind of like the you know like the popular player always wins type of deal i think i think you need at least some like limit limitation on it yeah, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, my, my initial kind of reaction to it is like, well, that's a neat concept. I agree with you. I think it's not a game I'd ever play, right? Like, it's it's a game I might watch, but like, I, I'd never want to. I would never want to be like, you know, the dude that like jumps into a game and gets matched up with like pro players or whatever that have like huge audiences that are less like braining care packages on them. Although yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I now that I say that as I'm saying that I think um, PUBG has a new mode in the development called zombies where it's uh where it's a bunch of players versus like a horde of uh, uh, like players playing zombies that have minimal uh, ability to do things. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's super cool. I think something like that could work in kind of that vein, right? Where like, I as like a normal person could jump in as a, as a zombie. I think that's neat. Um, yeah, then, I mean, have you ever played Humans vs. Zombies? The, um, like the college game kind of, you know, like the, the it's kind of like Assassins almost. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I've never actually played. I've played Assassins a bunch of times, but I've never actually played Humans vs. Zombies. But I think that there's a version of that that you just systemize into a game like PUBG that is just a, like amazing and fantastic and yeah. awesome. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, especially because like, 
if if you if you if the game is asymmetric, giving certain players like advantages, like isn't as bad, right? Like you have all of the all of the survivors on kind of like the same team. If one of them gets more things than the others, then you know theoretically they're free to redistribute that to their teammates if they want. And I think that all works. Mm-hmm. Um, There's also kind of a way to grow Twitch and esports, kind of right. Like you know, you have a young, uh, up and coming streamer. That like you know wants to get in you know all they have to do is like find like like get matched with you know hyper streamer four twenty xxx with twelve million subscribers it's like oh you're you're hyper streamer's teammate and you did real good maybe I'll follow you on Twitch yeah you know? yeah um I, I, yeah I mean I man this idea of a zombie zone is actually fucking awesome that's really cool yeah. one of the cool things about humans versus zombies that I think would make great for a game like PUBG is that the bullets you know like everybody carries nerf guns or whatever and you're shooting nerf guns mm. but the bullets don't kill the zombies the zombies regenerate it just paralyzes them uh, right. right and so a version of it where like if you're a zombie and you get shot right uh, like I don't think I don't even think I would want a respawn timer I think I would just want something along the lines of like um, you know, you go down for 30 seconds, uh, which so, gives the player, a, you know, like an, an amount of time to kind of like, so, peace. so, so check it the way, the way you do this is, um, because presumably these are big events that are built to be viewed as well as played is you have a queue when you die, you, you jump out of the game, but it throws in a new player from, from the queue. Like people are queued up to play in this game and be the one to take oh. down. Um, and they have like spawn options to kind of get you into different places. I think that's the right way to do it. Okay, uh, that would that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, you have like this endlessly cycling. Like for big games, you never get to play twice. But for like you know smaller games, like say like just to pull like one of the popular PUBG streamers, like Doctor Disrespect is playing a game. You've got maybe like a couple hundred people watching, um, and like they all just kind of like cycle in through the queue, and like maybe you get to be a zombie two or three times. You get to watch it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that's kind of the right way to do this, um, and if th- if nobody does this, I I think you know like we we should we should uh, you know we should quit our jobs and build this game because I think holy it's great. shit dude you're right I also think that you know the, one of the other things that we were talking about is you know how I was talking about like how I kind of think PUBG could benefit from like a like a talent tree sort of like low level abilities I think you could bake that kind of system into the zombies yeah to make no, that, you know what I mean and so now it's a little bit it's almost like left for dead right yeah yeah Where, like yeah. you can specialize yourself as a zombie right and now you're a lurker and now you're a you know like whatever whatever those kinds of specializations look like and maybe it's just like you know you get experience points passively over time and then you get some if you kill a guy or something like that uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually think this speaks to a, a, a trend which is kind of like this rise of asymmetric gameplay. Very popular right now is the Friday the 13th game, which is essentially this, except with one antagonist instead of, like, you know, generic ton of faceless ones. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has the advantage of you only need one person, right? Like, in order for this idea we're describing to work, you need to have, like, large player buy-in, um, whereas Friday the 13th requires five. Um um, but like you know, I I, I think that I, I think a lot of the innovations we're going to see in the near future are going to be around asymmetric gameplay because I I think that's kind of like the the new the the new hotness. Um, I'm, I'm glad this is the new hotness. It's a it's, yeah. it's, it's it is a good it is a good hotness. It's a very interesting uh, it's a very interesting one. I and I also think that you know like with uh, like you know like with a a platform like PUBG, there's just like a lot of good. You know, I mean the guys are modders themselves, right? Uh, but I just think that like that that core loop almost. Um, 
is something that you can toy with in a lot of different versions, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I, you know, like, I mean, parachuting onto the island, you know, parachuting onto the island and now the island is zombies is one, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. There's other stuff, too. I also think the, the cool thing about the uh, mode with zombies like that is that the zombies don't even have to be... Um, like the zombies don't even have to be, uh, like you don't have to have a play area anymore. You just, you just like keep powering up, you know what I mean? Cause now you have like, you have a side that is inevitably going to win, right? Zombies are inevitably going to win. Um, right. but it's just about, you know, like there will eventually kind of become a point of no return where these zombies just like bear down on people and just like wreck their shit, you know? And it's down to, it's down to like one person left alive. Yeah, it's kind of like a high score level thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how, um, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly think that, um, kind of on on like, this is kind of an indication that these kind of like this kind of asymmetric gameplay stuff, and the popularity of PUBG, which is not a fair game by any stretch of the imagination, right? It's kind of designed around like inherent unfairness, which is fine because mm. you can cycle through it super fast. Um, I think it's maybe indicative of of either maybe not a shift, but like a a kind of, like, second focus. Like, Twitches and eSports have all kind of been about, like, eSports, eSports. And that's... eSports is something that needs to be inherently fair. But you can play Friday the 13th or PUBG and be very entertaining to viewers, which is kind of a different mode, right? It's not about, you know, like, yeah, there are people who always uh, attract attention because they're skillful, but you don't need a big competition for that, right? Like, that person can stay in their house and play the game because it's about entertaining the viewers. Mm -hmm. Um... Entertaining the viewers from a very kind of, like, very traditional sense, right? Like, not in the sports sense, right? Like, you watch football to see peak athleticism, but you could watch a game of PUBG kind of like you watch almost like a a sitcom or like a reality TV show is maybe I think a reality TV show is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely, yeah. right? Like, this is like, this is like extreme survivor, right? Like, yeah. Um, um, but it's on, like, a 30-minute timer, and you don't yeah. have to worry about the season. It's not, I mean, and it's, it's actually unscripted. It's actually, like, a level yeah. of reality TV. And and I think that you there, there are also plenty of different ways that you can tweak with things to, like, make it... Like, you know, like, maybe a version of it is, like, the streamer dies, and now the streamer is a zombie. You know what I mean? And so instead of... So it's instead of it being 100 people on the island, it's 90 people parachute onto an island that already has 10 zombies. And as the zombies kill more and more... You know, like, as the zombies yeah, get, like, yeah. more and more people. But maybe there is... You know, like, maybe there is a prize for lasting the longest. You know what I mean? So there is still the, the same kind of gameplay that we have right now in PUBG, which is you see another group of people and try and kill them. Right now you have human v. human v. zombies. Um, and I think that is awesome. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think there's 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 a whole a whole bunch of potential. Um, honestly, you know, this is kind of occurs to me. This will be a very short thought since we're running low on time. But uh, I wonder if kind of part of the success of PUBG is kind of like its jankiness, where like the game is jank, but like a lot of kind of like what makes like highlights are like weird physics bugs. Um, that kind of like 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 that, that are or like goofy things that happen as a result of the physics engine, as well as like high level play. And I wonder if kind of like a, like a a level of jank is kind of like necessary to get like that really entertaining factor, right? Not so much that it ruins your experience by being by being you know pernicious, but enough that like you 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 kind of like every once in a while you have these things which are hilarious and don't rub you the wrong way because they only happen once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a 
That's a good question that I don't have a good answer to. But mm-hmm. uh, that's about all the time we have for today, I guess. Yeah. If you want to write in and let me know what you think of that statement I just made, uh, you can write to us at <laughs> subderfplaygames at gmail.com. You can also write us if you want to tell us what you think of Starfinder. Are you excited? We want to know if you're excited. Have you been playing video games? What video games have you been playing? What questions do you have for us? You have any questions for us? Let us know. You know, uh, buddy, what's your favorite type of cake? Don't answer that. Wait for a, a, a listener to ask us, and we'll let you know where. <laughs> uh, but if you want to watch us play uh, RPGs, you can find us on uh, uh, twitch.tv slash games. You can uh, uh, listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, rate us, leave comments, uh, subscribe to us. Uh What's uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is somewhere in the description. Smash that like button. That's what the the kids say these days, right? Uh, buddy, do you have anything you want to endorse this week? Uh, no, I have nothing salad related to endorse this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, in uh, in that case, I think uh, it's uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>